If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg, bringing you an incredible episode. It is the beginning of November. We're starting to already think about next year, at least hopefully everyone's already thinking about next year. And we're going to be talking with Daria Torres about governance trends to watch for 2022. And don't we all wish we had that crystal ball that we could just look into the future and go, oh yeah, we think this is going to be a big deal next year. This is our opportunity to get a peek into that crystal ball. While I'm thinking about next year and talking about next year, I also just want to remind you that early next year, we launched the Successful Nonprofits Book Club. If you are interested in reading 10 books, it's going to meet 10 times, a little less than once a month, but so it's going to meet 10 times in the next year. If you're interested in getting and reading an amazing book 10 times next year, then go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and check out the book club. A couple books, just as a little bit of a tease, we are going to be reading one of my favorite books, The Thief in Your Company by Tiffany Couch. What a great book. It is a book that will make you care about internal controls, and you'll probably give it to your treasurer too so that that person will care about internal controls. We're also going to be reading the book, Philanthropy Revolution. I had to stop and think about that for a second. Philanthropy Revolution by Lisa Greer, which just came out, I think, in the last year. Oh, my gosh. This book will change the way you think about donor relations. But now, let me introduce Daria Torres for our conversation around governance trends. So you may remember Daria for a lot of reasons, but one is that she was on the podcast about four years ago, and we spoke about engineering equity into your organization. Part of what I loved about that conversation was not just her approach, 
But Daria is, by training, an engineer. So when she was saying engineering equity into your organization, she literally meant, okay, you know, let's figure out how to do this in a way that it's systemic and measurable and really taking a close look at it. Now, not surprisingly, as an engineer, she also is an alum of McKinsey, which is one of the big consulting practices in the United States. And that means that she has spent a lot of her time thinking about strategy, planning, operational effectiveness, professional development, and more. So with all of that experience in those areas, she actually launched her own consulting practice, Walls Torres, which has been around for two decades. And I'd be willing to bet you know, or at least have heard of some of their clients, the Gates Foundation, the University of Pennsylvania, General Electric, United Negro College Fund, and more. So clearly, we are getting to hear from an expert here who has worked on both sides in the for-profit sector with McKinsey and also in the nonprofit sector in her consulting practice. So, Daria, welcome to the podcast. Dolph, thank you so much. First of all, you have me excited about your book club. Thank you so much. I've jotted down those two titles. Uh, second of all, I'm so appreciative of the invitation to come back. As you pointed out, it was four years ago. I even know what episode number it was, 61. Uh, and, you know, fast forward four years and here we are. So congratulations on all of your success since then. Uh, and I'm excited to dive into the conversation today. Well, thank you. Again, I'm, I'm just super glad that we're able to get you back on. Um, and I'll share with you, this also at some level, I've been really working really hard to get some of those early guests on. You know, we're at episode probably 230 or 240-something now. And I've been working really hard to get some of those early guests on because, frankly, you took a risk on our podcast when we did not have a lot of listeners. And we're at a point now that we have a lot of listeners. So, listeners, if you've not heard Daria's episode, episode 61, Engineering Equity into Your Organization, it is worth your while to do the scroll to find that episode, download, and listen to it. But today I know we're talking about governance. That's right. You know, we are. Um, and as you pointed out, uh, over the past two decades, uh, have worked across sectors, have had the pleasure of personally advising and counseling uh, hundreds of C-level executives, board directors and trustees, uh, university administrators, and also founders. Um, and as you pointed out, prior to that, formal consulting uh experience with McKinsey and then as assistant engineer at Lockheed Martin. So dealing with the kinds of complexities uh, that are being confronted at the upper, ech upper echelons, if you will, of leadership is kind of baked into my DNA. Um, and over the past two decades as well, there's just been this inextricable interplay that I've noticed between strategy, leadership, and governance. Uh, it's kind of like three sides of a pyramid, uh, which impacts things like culture, climate, uh, operational effectiveness, and even brand and reputation. So as I've going to put together all of the insights and observations, I do have a few predictions uh, for 2022, uh, which maybe we can get into. Before we jump into those predictions, I want to make sure that we unpack the differences between strategy, leadership, and governance. And I think I, think I probably know these differences, but if we can maybe just have that conversation so that we're all on the same page and all our listeners are on that page as well. Absolutely. So... Let's talk about first uh, strategy. Um, you know, strategy is a lot of people will say it's, you know, your North Star and what are the sets of actions and objectives and goals that will get you closer to that North Star. Uh, operations are kind of the mechanics of performing those actions and doing so with fidelity and with optimal kind of efficiency and improvement over time. 
Governance is the set of decisions that get you to those prior two things. So I think of governance as kind of three R's, roles, rules, and routines. And in all of those, you know, those elements, if you will, are how those decisions get made that impact the prior two areas. I love that. The three R's of governance, roles, rules, and routines. Absolutely. Yeah. And all of them are essential ingredients that drive high-performance organizations. So as you're looking at the roles, rules, and routines of governance in 2022, what are some of the things we should be looking for? Appreciate the question. And I know you said up front that, you know, it's great to pull out that crystal ball. I do not have an actual crystal ball, nor am I a psychic. However, I do pay attention to trends. Uh, I read a lot. I listen closely and I try to synthesize um, to absorb all the information that can inform perspectives and uh, help us think about the future. So I would say, uh, you know, the first prediction that I'll throw out on the table is related to curiosity. And that prediction is that curiosity is going to become a much more sought after trait for new directors. I would definitely like some more information about that. I mean, I think as we look back over the past year and a half, certainly during the pandemic, we can all agree the world is changing, um, you know, incredibly quickly. Um, Things are happening that we could have never, quote unquote, never anticipated. And in order to remain effective in governance and decision making, you have to be curious about the things you don't understand, about the things that are unfamiliar, about the things that could happen. So uh, boards need to be thinking about populating those seats with curious people. So you might wonder, what does a curious person look like? Well, the curious people are more likely to have a learning agenda. You're more likely to learn from your mistakes, to surface risk and vulnerabilities. And I think, you know, as our world is becoming increasingly more VUCA, uh, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, boards need people that can thrive in that kind of environment. So... I've got to ask, like, how how do you find those curious people? Like, how do you screen for that? And you and you recognize, oh yeah, this is someone who has a lot of curiosity in a good way. That is something that I think is on the minds, if not of the entire, you know, all boards, certainly of the nominations and governance committee, right, and the chair of that committee. Also within leadership teams, in terms of how they fill their leadership bench, right. So there are things that organizations can do. In fact, we worked with a client who revamped their entire selection process for uh, board directors to be very intentional about eliciting evidence of curiosity. Two questions I specifically remember that they included in the interview process were, uh, number one, when is the last time you tried something new? Uh, Number two, what have you read lately that changed your worldview? Right. So as we look into the future, we should all be thinking about how to maintain kind of a healthy curiosity, not just because it might be asked about in an interview, but because we have to you know, recognize we can't make assumptions. We can't jump to conclusions and we have to maintain an open mindset as we discover new information and perspectives. I really want us to stop and take a quick deep dive. I know that sounds counterintuitive to say quick deep dive, but you just said you worked with an organization to completely revamp their board recruitment process. So I assume that was more than just changing the questions. What did the new process look like? Yeah. Well, there were adjustments throughout all of the stages of the process. So even at the outset, you know, if you're, let's stick with this prediction around increasing curiosity uh, as a profile of the board, when you're even looking at who's in your pipeline, 
right? If you're looking for individuals where curiosity is, you know, apparent and evident in their um, in their makeup and in their DNA, you're going to go to the sources that might provide those kinds of individuals. So maybe it means looking in places where you never looked before for potential prospects, partnering with new organizations. And that's actually what this organization did. Um, there's an organization in the Philadelphia area called Diverse Force on Boards. And this organization partnered with Diverse Force on Boards in order to expand their pipeline and seek out candidates that they otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to just be in, in connection with or a close association with. We talked about the questions, you know, adding additional questions as they went along, but also doing away with the idea of scoring in the process. The old paradigm is there's certain criteria that are really important. We have a matrix, and I'm not saying that that completely goes away, but the idea of what merit looks like and there being a script around that, I think it's becoming a bit of an outmoded discipline. Right. So, again, that that speaks to this need for curiosity, being open to the idea that your your definition of merit and of high caliber can evolve as you learn more about what quality and excellence mean. Hmm. I, I like that a lot. And I do have a quick question. You say kind of doing doing away with the matrix. Does that mean this group is no longer kind of checking the box and saying, okay, do we have an attorney? Do we have an accountant? Or do they still think about, okay, we need those professional skill sets? They are still thinking about that. And that guides, let's say, who in any particular cycle of recruitment might be highest priority, but still remaining open to the possibility that a an excellent candidate may come along uh, and not necessarily saying that we have to be governed by this fixed set of criteria that we have already defined. There might be new things that aren't in the matrix currently, other variables in terms of functional expertise or lived experience that we discover we need. Uh, And so your matrix can evolve versus being a fixed mm, filter or lens through which you're looking in the in the mirror. That is undeniably true. I like that a lot. Thank you. Well, I, I was not trying to take us too far off of uh, the predictions for 2022. So we've got curiosity and the importance of curiosity. What else? Well, I, you know, the second one I'd say is around proximity. And what do I mean by that? I think that the proximity of boards to their various stakeholder groups is going to continue shrinking. Okay. Uh, so in order to effectively govern, you, you cannot operate in isolation, you know, without hearing from parties that are impacted by your decisions, right? That includes staff, that includes your service population, um, your members or constituents, your partners, your funders, or your grantees, depending on what side of the table you're sitting on. And I, I think there is a difference between hearing from someone and truly listening with the intent to understand. Um, so th- this proximity is going to be a really important uh, focus area for boards to self-inspect around and say, are we sitting behind a, uh, let's call it titanium curtain. I don't want to use the term iron or steel curtain because those have other <laughs> meanings. Uh, but are, are, we, are we putting ourselves behind a wall or are we making ourselves more accessible uh, for a two-way exchange that we know we need to have in order to embrace uh, the, the perspectives that we need to be considering. So that's a really important concept. And how would you see boards getting out from behind that titanium curtain and embracing and engaging? 
Well, I, you know, like I said, it's a it's a two way street. So it, it it these efforts have to be founded on trust and transparency. You know, when you're seeking to initiate more inclusive or more intimate interactions with any of those parties, there could be some skepticism or doubt, right, that creeps up, especially if it hasn't been your customary mode of operation. Um, that's why I think it's really important to be upfront about intent. You know, why is this happening? Why do you want us to come in and speak to you? Why are you surveying us? What? Why are you asking us these questions, right? So be clear about what the objective is mm-hmm. and you'll have people be more likely to meet you in the middle. It's interesting. I think I think you really hit on it. That is just so important to be clear about the intent. And then I would imagine then also kind of report back so that way folks see you're sincere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, sincerity has a lot of, there are a lot of synonyms, right? What, what authenticity, right, mm-hmm. is another that you hear all the time. You know, my, I'm reflecting on a time my team worked with an organization that was struggling with um, creating an inclusive environment for staff. And the board was very concerned about this um, because it affected the quality of their work. Uh, it affected the organizational climate, morale. So they had an interest in us leading some focus group discussions with staff to understand what some of the barriers and challenges were. And the ED was so eager to initiate these focus groups that dates just got added to everybody's calendar with no context, no opportunity to ask questions, no chance to bring everybody along. And, you know, so you can imagine what the reaction was. Um, So fortunately, we we were able to intervene there and help them course correct. And that course correction involved a all hands meeting with the executive director and the board chair so that, you know, any no question was off limits. And uh, to your point about sincerity, people were able to pick up on that in that all hands discussion in a way that then paved the path for productive conversations uh, going forward. So, Dari, I have to share with you as as an executive director, that's a mistake that I've made at times in my life where I get so focused on the task. And I am very task oriented. I'm like, okay, we're going to make this happen. Get it on everyone's calendar. Okay. And I just assume that everyone's on the plane with me. And then the plane takes off and I realize they're not all on the plane. And it's never a good experience. Like I keep, you know, sometimes we learn a lesson a number of times before we're like, okay, I really need to pay attention to this. Yeah, no, you're, you're so right. And I, you know, I applaud, you know, anyone who is task oriented that way. You know, the, the A-type personality who is always thinking about the X's and O's. But as you pointed out, uh, putting yourself in the shoes of the other and thinking about how is this going to land, right? They have no information. They have no context. They have no insight. What can I do to help that land more effectively? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so we've got that proximity to the people impacted by the organization. What are some of the other governance trends you're, you're thinking are going to happen in 2022? Well, the third uh, prediction I'll offer is that I think an appreciation for the need uh, for flexibility, okay, is going to shorten the time horizon for strategic planning. It's also going to prompt more attention on scenario planning, mm-hmm. right? Um, so those engaged in governance, obviously, um, you know, are no stranger to strategic planning. The classic approach is that organizations do this, you know, what, every three to five years, Dolph, would you say? Yep. Right? I mean, a very common methodology is to start with a SWOT analysis and after a phase process, you've got your goals, your objectives, your actions. But I would suggest uh, to you that this is quickly becoming, if not already has become uh, an outdated approach. 
I, I think there are many boards who find comfort in the familiar tried and true approach of, uh, to strategic planning, but that those do not favor flexibility. What does favor flexibility is being, uh, you know, more flexible, adaptive, and agile as to what the answers might be, and that that entails strategic uh, scenario planning, not strategic planning. So, with a scenario-driven mindset, you're acknowledging that things are happening in the world around us uh, that we might not have any control over, right? And you know, as a former engineer, that is um, that's like the bane of our existence. Okay, you want things to be under control, but so this is this is an acknowledgement of that. We have to pay attention to those things that are in flux, um, and in fact, it, you know, we we have to force ourselves to make predictions, <laughs> right? The kind of the theme of this this conversation, predictions about how those factors or variables might change. And once we start to sharpen our instincts about what the future holds, we can develop plans, options, right, around those plans, and test their attractiveness within those future frames. So a couple of things I really want to share with you. The the first, it's interesting, the year before the pandemic, I was working on a strategic planning process with an organization. And by the way, and this now just seems so um like like we had a crystal ball and we didn't. Um but but they'd really struggled around some core decisions because they often found themselves veering from their strategic plan because of scenarios and opportunities and challenges, et cetera. And so a big part of what we did, obviously, you know, is we helped them really revisit, revise, and reaffirm their mission and their vision and their values. And, you know, we helped them come up with some broad goals. But the thing I think they've probably found most useful is this program screen where, you know, where when an opportunity comes up or something something happens, they kind of put it through the this screen. And then the screen says, okay, here are the options that are most favorable for what we want to be as an organization. And it was interesting because that really was the most valuable thing I think they got out of it. I for There's so many things I love about that example. Uh, you know, I, I scribbled down, revisit, reaffirm, and revise. You, you know, I'm a fan of alliteration too, Dolph. <laughs> so I love your three R's, okay? <laughs> but secondly, that example makes me think about a not so fortunate example. So let's imagine I'm on the board of directors for a, a food bank. Through the pandemic, we know that the need for food and other basic supports was surging. And the public responded to that and contributed, you know, in many cases for many organizations that were serving this need far in excess of what they had capacity or were even equipped to spend. So now where, where am I? As a board member, we're sitting on all this cash unexpectedly. What do we do with it? When you have a scenario planning mindset, as you pointed out, or a decision-making, let's call it methodology, right, with some criteria of how you think about attractiveness of relative options, then the possibility of a generosity-triggering event or other windfall-inducing circumstances would have been on the table, and a prioritized set of investment options would have been in the hopper, ready to go, right? So to your point and what I've been reflecting on, Organizations have to and are, right? So I would say some are already definitely moving in this direction, but organizations more so need to evaluate their planning processes with an emphasis on flexibility, whether that looks like formally adopting a scenario planning mindset or something approximating it, obviously is up to them. Yeah. So a couple things that I immediately kind of think about. The first, and I've, I've been saying this for a few years, in part because of my experience when I was an executive director 
every organization needs a windfall policy. Every organization, I just have to say it again, needs a windfall policy. I have seen too many organizations come into what for them is a lot of money and not handle that opportunity well. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And it's, you know, because we're so accustomed to in this sector of operating with, uh, you know, under the challenge of scarcity, Mm -hmm. right? How else can I put it? I mean, that we're so used to that. And, you know, so you don't even consider the alternative. Right. And being ready for that is uh, it certainly gives you an advantage from a governance perspective, because at the point when it comes, you do not need to be having emergency meetings about how to spend money. Right. Right. And I'll <laughs> share with you that the two biggest mistakes I've seen organizations make when they come into a windfall. The first is they're currently operating in a deficit and they use it to plug the deficit and they go, thank goodness, we're good this year, or we're good for the next two years. And guess what? They've not, fixed the, they've not fixed the revenue generation issue. And so in three years, they're in trouble again, but there's no windfall to save them. The other big thing that I see organizations do is they invest it in, in something that will end up becoming a recurring expense, whether that's a program or expanding a, expanding a program that's not grant-funded or you know, not, does not generate revenue. And again, you know, in a year or two, they're like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to support this program? We're going to have to lay people off and disappoint our clients. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And so that the sustainability question has to be baked into your governance processes. It, it has to. I mean, if it's not on the table, then your your risk is up ending up in situations like you're describing. Yeah. Right? Where you're, you're so focused on addressing the immediate short-term opportunity or need and placing less attention on what the downstream implications are. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it may be because, you know, you know that your time horizon is limited, right? It, it could be, right? A lot, board members don't always have uh, uh, indefinite terms. Some do, <laughs> but that that could be part of it, right? I'm here for this amount of time and this is the lens of, or this is the window of opportunity that I'm most focused on. So I think we all have to have that long range mindset and think about how the organization is going to be impacted beyond our immediate scope of influence. So before we move to the off the map question, do you have one final prediction for 2022? Oh my goodness, a bonus prediction? Yeah. All right, so a bonus prediction would be, well, this has to do with predictability itself. I mentioned I'm a former engineer now a couple times. I play I pay pretty close attention to technology trends and their impact on different sectors. And I think the nonprofit sector needs to be ready to embrace emerging technologies like AI and machine learning. Um, I say that because the amount of data that organizations now have the ability to collect on their popu- service populations, on the environment around them is just staggering. Um, right now, nonprofits spend about 2 to 4% of their operating expenses on technology. Uh, for larger organizations, that amount represents a significant sum and could be enough to drive the kinds of digitization initiatives, website upgrades that would be the envy of smaller organizations. Mm-hmm. But even those large organizations are not fully capitalizing on uh, what can be known from the data that they have. Right. So coming back to something I said at the very beginning, that governance is about the three R's, roles, rules, and routines. Uh, you know, who decides what? How do those decisions get made? When you can mine insights from your data, there is a level of predictability about how things behave and what expectations you can have 
uh, that enhance your ability to see over the horizon. So the, I guess the punchline on the final prediction is that the power of predictability is going to become more critical in governance and is going to require uh, increased investments in technology. I believe that's an incredible prediction and also one that is absolutely going to come true if it's not already. Like the organizations that have not invested in technology, regardless of their size, are already finding themselves at a disadvantage. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the, the, the time is now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, Daria, I always have to save time for the off-the-map question. And, you know, the off-the-map question has nothing really to do with what we talked about today, but it's an opportunity for our listeners to get to know you just a little bit better. And I've got what I think is kind of an awesome one because it's not something that you would expect uh, referring to a person as this when they were a child. But I understand that back in your childhood, you were a sales leader at a young age. <laughs> that would be that would be true. And you must be referring to my days as a Girl Scout. All right. I want to give credit to Girl Scouts USA for, oh, gosh, uh, the training as a as a leader, as an entrepreneur. Uh, but if you're looking for a lesson learned, Dolph, it's that, uh, you know, we 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 have to be able to hear no. You don't sell tons of cookies without hearing a lot of no's. And so, you know, to bring that forward to work now and perhaps what your listeners could benefit from, you know, it's it, it might not be no always, it might just be no now. So now I have to ask you the question, how at a young age did you learn to deal with no? Because that's, that's hard and it even can feel personal. That's, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, as I reflect on now, I would have to say, it starts in your house. It starts in your community surroundings, your church, perhaps, um, you know, where you have adults who are helping you understand that the world is, is not, you're not entitled to things in this world, <laughs> right? Uh, so I, I just remember not having expectations that people do for me or that things are going to always go perfectly and that that's okay. That's part of life. Uh, so, uh, you know, taking your bruises along the way is, is part of that. And, uh, and, and you, you learn, you learn the more no's you hear, uh, the better a shot you have at getting a yes the next time. And listeners, you can't see this, but Daria is smiling from ear to ear as she says <laughs> this. So it's really nice to hear someone talk about no and rejection and be able to smile about it. That's incredible. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. It's it's true. You know, I still hear no plenty to this day. So <laughs> you keep moving, keep moving ahead. <laughs> well, Daria, I know that there are a lot of reasons for our listeners to connect with you. So I want to share a few things with them. The first, listeners, is if you want to find out more about Daria's work, go to wallstoresgroup.com. That's wallstoresgroup.com. Now, Daria is also involved in a couple of additional projects that are worth your attention. The first is givingcycle.org. It is an innovative model for youth philanthropy. And part of what I love so much about givingcycle.org is it highlights the value of various forms of diversity on a board. So, you know, we're talking race, gender, age, thinking styles, lived experiences, etc. So make sure you check out givingcycle.org. And then as soon as you're done there, 
check out equitymaturity.com. Now, this is a website that will help you reflect on equity mindsets and ways that you can apply them, not only in strategy and operations and culture, but also in governance. Hey, Daria, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Dolph. Uh, and continued best wishes for all the conversations you are yet to have. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, listeners, I know I just shot out three URLs pretty quickly. So if you missed any one of them, you can go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and get all of the URLs that we talked about. And if you enjoyed this episode, there are two that you should download and listen to. The first are your three legal duties as a nonprofit board member with Bruce Hopkins. Not enough of our boards know what their legal duties are, and you can't, you really cannot fulfill your governance duty if you do not understand those three duties. And then the second I want you to consider is episode 172, Enlist Your Treasurer and Banker to Your Sustainability Team with Chad Wolver. I just have to share with you that as you are thinking about strategy and governance, a big part of governance is how you manage your money. And to better understand the ways that your banker, your organization's banker, can be a partner in that, this is going to be a good conversation. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And that would actually be the end of the show, but the lawyers make me give you this little disclaimer. So you know that I'm not an accountant. You know that I'm not an attorney. It should come as no surprise that I don't provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. So the show is for informational purposes only. And, you know, that means that, and again, the attorneys make me repeat this, the show and this episode should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If that's what you need, please find a qualified, licensed professional in your area. Seek their guidance. And if you're not sure who could provide you with this guidance and counsel in your area, reach out to me. And if I know someone, I'm happy to make the connection.